Welcome to episode seven of Monday Club in Isolation podcast. Monday Club is a small voluntary group which we set up to bring together older people of um, the area and surrounding areas just to get together for companionship and physical and mental stimulation and fun. We meet on Monday and Wednesday morning at Beather and Tinant Community Library, which is four miles north of Pontypridd in the South Wales Valley. It might be north at all, but never mind. <laughs> We're recording this podcast because at the moment we just can't all get together and sit and chat and enjoy each other's company. So we're just trying to reach out into the community and keep people in touch with each other. So last week, we had Alwyn and Diane with us. Today, with us, are a very festive looking, if that's the word, Mary and Tony Morris and Bron. And we may, if we're lucky, get a couple of words from Terry. We may get Terry. may come in. So welcome, welcome to everybody. And of course, Carol, my right-hand man, is here as always. Well, as we know, it's VE Day and perhaps we can spend time today talking around street celebrations that we recall from the past, perhaps some family stories and perhaps food and shopping because there are sort of similarities today as there might have been in wartime, isn't there? I thought we'd start by what might or might not be an appropriate icebreaker question. You find yourself having to entertain the troops for five to ten minutes. What would you do to entertain them and why would you pick that activity? So, Mary, would you like to start? Okay, I'll start, yes. It's a similar situation when I was a student in Cardiff Royal Infirmary. I was told, not asked, to take part in the med students production of anacophallics. And anacophallics means brainless. <laughs> so you can imagine the state of the activities that went on. It was all good, clean fun, produced to a huge audience. And I was a filler, which is just the sort of thing you're talking about, a very short thing indeed. But as you know, I'm not a great singer. I'm certainly not a great dancer, but I can make people laugh very often, sometimes unintentionally. So I was dressed up in a a check shirt and jeans that were rolled up. I blacked out one of my front teeth and I had my friend Kathy plait my hair either side of a hanger, a wire hanger that was stretched out over my head so that it was in a curved shape and the plaits came out at either side. So as soon as I went onto stage, you can imagine there was some mild laughter. And then when I smiled and they saw the blacked out tooth, they were pretty hysterical. So then I gave them a little recitation and it's completely clean, I do tell you. And the production we did was in December. So what I said was with all the dramatic, dramatic gestures that you can imagine, It was Christmas Day in the workhouse. The old man sat in his cell. Put out your pudding for treacle, he heard the warder yell. If you want treacle on your pudding, put it out without delay. So 
So the old man put out his pudding and the warder took it away. <laughs> Just under its applause, which I don't hear at the moment. That was what I would do. Thank you, Aunt Eva. That was what I would do. That's very good. <laughs> right. How about you then, Carol? Um, well, I'd probably do a, a very uh, awful German impression of Lily Marlene, you know. Oh, uh, well done, yeah. Outside the barracks by the corner. <laughs> Well, Marlene Dietrich couldn't bless it sing either. So, um, <laughs> and because uh, Vera Lynn has done a version as well, but it's all about you know longing and loneliness, you know, and yeah, <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, How about you, Bron? I would like to be. Go and entertain the troops with the Andrew sisters. Oh, right. Because all yeah. my life I have loved dancing. And every chance I could get, I would be out dancing. If I could be out seven nights a week, I'd be out seven nights a week dancing. So I'd like to be on stage with the Andrew sisters singing Boogie Boogie Bird from Jump Company G. <laughs> and I'd like to be doing the actions and everything. I think that would, would be you? brilliant. I'd love to be the Andrew well, sisters. I said to Mary yesterday, I think that should be our next request to Rian. Absolutely. To yeah. dance to that song. Yes. Because that's yeah. good. Yeah. Be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. Tony? I'd have to provide the music for all this, see, as I normally do. <laughs> oh, what an excuse. Going out the street this morning, the old song. So, well, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah. When we were singing last night, all of us out the street, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know where. But we couldn't get the music to be loud enough for us. So totally could have done with you. Should have had me there. <laughs> so I, I give you my special talent, which I, I must tell you now I'm still developing. As you know, I can't sing. And I can't dance. I keep trying, but I'm not getting very far. In fact, I couldn't think of anything really that I would be able to get up on stage and spend five, ten minutes doing. So I thought, okay, I'll go and have a research online for unusual talents. Perhaps I'll come up with something there. So I thought, mm, talking backwards, well, that's not going to keep people entertained for five minutes, is it? Then I thought my eyebrow dancing is worse than my indie dancing. So that was a no-goer. So I kept searching and, as they say, seek and you shall find. And I found just what I was looking for. When I was young, I was really good at roller skating. I thought, well, that's fine. I can borrow nose roller skates, a couple of whizzes up and down the back garden. I'll be fine. And I thought, right, all I need is a pole and a couple of poles. And I can practice my limbo dancing. And then I can do limbo skating, oh which is quite an art form. <laughs> and I thought the great advantage for me to that would be that from the off, I would be setting the bar very high. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. That's an idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I suppose your street must be like my streets. Two days ago, there was nothing up at all. Yeah. No sign that there was any sort of celebration. Then 
the young lad who lives next door to me, Darren, nice young lad, he bought some bunting. So I said to Darren, from a safe distance course, oh, Darren, where'd you get your bunting? And he said, well, as it happens, I've sourced some more. And he said, um, I think I got 10, perhaps even 20 packets of bunting coming if you want some. So I said, oh, that'd be great. And since then, Darren and his brother have had people all along the street for bunting. I, th- I thought that was like not expected because people don't seem to be in touch with each other anymore today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought perhaps we could start by sort of talking about impromptu street celebrations or just celebrations and how we've seen them and how they've changed over the years. So well, um, in my hand, I've got a copy of a history of my Sukhoi, where my dad was brought up. And the four brothers, I mean, they were in their late 80s when this was published. They went up for the launch. There was the lo- children from the local school in Masikai produced it. And it's, it's really, really good. And actually, there's a photograph from my grandparents. And it, and it says, oh, Alf White, the man who wouldn't die because he was injured in the First World War and underground, etc. But just read you quickly a newspaper article written by Margaret Price, who Pontypridd reacted to VE Day. By half past 10 on the evening of VE Day, Pontypridd was illuminated by multicoloured lights which sparkled from one end of the town to the other, charging the air with a glamour and gaiety that corresponded with the jubilation of the festivities, which were continued into the early hours of the morning. As soon as the lights were flashed and the mood of the vast crowd thronging the main street seemed to change, until then the people had been quiet, almost subdued, but with a sudden illumination they relaxed and let themselves go, and there was laughter, singing and rejoicing throughout the town. That makes me feel emotional now, just, you know, know, they they were there in the evening, you know, they must have more going than the rest, you know. British, American and Russian flags together with brightly coloured bunting and streamers fluttered in the breeze and many shop windows were floodlit. So that's how Pontypridd was on the evening of VE Day, 75 years ago. There is a photograph of one street party, but a couple of weeks ago, Bron, you said you would like to go back to VE Day, didn't you? Yeah, I would have been five. Five, that's right, and you can't remember, can you? I can remember the street parties, and I can remember next door but one, they had a massive big radiogram, huge. They were the only ones in the street who had a radiogram, and they put it out the street, and they had to play in all the music, you know, of of the war and that. Or like you said, Marlena Dietrich and all those songs they were playing. I can remember then vaguely. That's why I would like to have gone back to that to oh, yeah. appreciated it more. But I can remember and putting all the tables up the middle of the street, covering them with cloths, and my mother giving her coupons, her ration coupons, to the woman, kept the doors away so that she could get stuff to make cake for us. She made loaf cake without fat. (laughs) So I don't know, I can't remember the taste of it, but I just remember all of the people in the street, dancing in the street, you know, like um, topper girls with their skirts (laughs) dancing round and round. And the street was decorated. Not so much with bunting, everybody had the fronts of their houses decorated with greenery. 
and tissue paper flowers all in the nice greenery and the whole street, every single house. And there was an electrician living in our street and he wired up as far as he could with bulbs and people painted the bulbs red, white and blue. And my mother wouldn't paint hers red. <laughs> she would only paint it blue because she said red means a nasty house. <laughs> and the food we had was basic food, really. I was talking to my sister about it because she remembers it a lot. And she mm. said the most amazing thing we had on the table was a big bowl of fruit, tin gosh. Somebody had got it from the army, <laughs> a massive big tin of fruit. And uh, we all had like one peach each for a bit. And then they went around if there was any left, put a little bit more. But that's my vivid memory of this big, big bowl of fruit. Fantastic. I was saying to Mary, I was looking at a list of the sort of food that people would have put together for VE Day celebration, dripping and salt sandwiches. Yes, I remember dripping on a Saturday night. Lord Woolton pie. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. What's in that, Carol? Oh, it's like a vegetable and potato pie. Um, he was the Minister of Food. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's quite a well-known res- recipe that is. Aren't we yeah. had that on the party day, though. Well, that's what they say in you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we wasn't a posh as that. We only had all. Well, honey, just hang on a minute mm. because there were pork faggots with onion gravy and mash. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. Homity pie. I, I have heard of it. And it says corned beef hash, which, um, you know, might have been plentiful. You certainly difficult to get it in corned beef oh, today. Yes. That's what I had today, corned beef today, funny enough. <laughs> Did you? Yes. Mm, lucky girl. Yeah. And liver casserole and eggless fruit cake. <laughs> yes. no, no, he lives across the road from us. Yeah. And he can remember the celebrations, although he was only two, so how much he can remember and how much he's been told. Mm. But he definitely remembers the dripping sandwiches. Yes. That was the first thing he said when I asked him what food they had. And he said the dripping sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our age group would probably remember more the coronation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When I can sort of remember. That's the first one I can remember. And I mean, I knew nothing about the preparation or the work that went into it. You just turned out into the street. And then it was all set up for you, isn't it? There was a long table down the centre of the street, yeah. which seemed to be the thing we've always done. Because I remember when my children were small, we had a couple of street parties. One would have been for the Silver Jubilee. Uh, Princess Diane Charles's wedding, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And what I remember about that mostly is, because I was quite young, it was the older ladies of the street that about, oh, perhaps eight, nine months before, started collecting money from everybody and then they would buy ingredients and perhaps then you'd be given some ingredients back to make sandwiches or whatever on the day you know the years it's it's as if we've we seem to have lost that closeness don't we in society yeah we don't talk about the jubilee in our house because (laughs) oh dear dear my next door neighbour um, had decorated his house and he said, where's you? I said, well, my husband's not 
a royalist, I'm afraid, so we won't be doing anything. And we used to belong to the archery club up the Ronda. And we came home. And blow me, when we got home, there was bunting all over our house. bananas. Deborah's coming onto my land. So, and um, it was attached. They put a nail in the wood, I think, as well. It's a fun way of attaching it. So it was about 10 o'clock in the night. And um, he pulled it down. So I was standing in the middle of the road, holding this bunting up. So I had to knock the girl who had organised it and said, I'm sorry, I said, he didn't want his bunting on the house. Oh, she was really annoyed. And then the neighbour next door then didn't speak to us for about two months. <laughs> they did speak to us. But when the Charles and Diana got married, they didn't put bunting on our house. So. <laughs> <laughs> we had a big street party here when Sean was about seven or eight, we had a massive street party because I got all the photos of it because Sean and Leighton dressed up as the flower pet pop men. Yeah. What year would they have been, Ron? They would have, Sean was what about eight. If that would have been the, the Silver Queen's Silver Jubilee, wouldn't it? Would it? Yeah. yeah. We had a massive street party in Clareville. We had it all closed off from the bottom. Yeah. Up. We had a bonfire down in the field, cooking and hot dogs, and everybody was dressed up. All of us were dressed up. Yeah, yeah. But the food yeah. they got of Sean, he's in, Terry made him a flower pot outfit, out of flower pots, and he was a flower pot man. Leighton was the other flower pot man, Bill and Ben, and Ryan was the weed. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. He's a leg and his iron and an iron, etc. So um, that's where he was. Yeah. But then again, years ago, you, you were in a hospital for months, you know, if you fractured your leg. He wasn't like in one day, you know, you all used the plast to get on with it. He was actually in bed yeah. for six months. Yeah. Yeah. There was a photograph online this morning of um, a, a soldier, I don't know it's Eamon or whatever, but in hospital on VE day, recovering from injuries that he'd sustained in the battle. And he was like, it looked so primitive, just looked like a bunk bed almost, with this sort of wooden cage over it, I, I presume yeah. to keep his bones in place or whatever. And you thought, oh, you can't recognise that compared to what goes on in hospitals these days, can you? No. So yeah. it must have been really difficult to be able to recover, I imagine, I don't know. Well, you might be lying on your back with your leg, you know, say with those weights on. Yeah. Um, for six months. I'm not suggesting you're old, Mary, in any way, but you probably got a, <laughs> a bit of a history in knowing how hospitals have changed, haven't you? Well, when I were, worked first, those wooden frames were still in use. Were they? Yeah. Oh, yes. And you use the weights to reduce the fracture. Yeah, yeah. To pull the ends of the bone apart mm -hmm. so that they don't cross over each other and impinge the blood vessels. Yeah. So yeah. The weights pull them apart so that they join end on end rather than anything else. Yeah. But yeah. yes, I remember all of that. To me, it looked far more scary, if you know what I mean. If you woke up and found yourself lying in a bed with what looked like a couple of sticks all nailed together. It must have been quite, quite frightening. You look at it now with hindsight. If yeah. you remember what I said to you yesterday, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. That's right, yeah. Knowing what we know today, it does seem archaic, yeah. really. But and they were we, brilliant yeah. at the time to do things like that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Ted got a little story to say when he was... Oh, good. How old was he? Ten. Nine, I Nine, living in Compark. He lived in Compark. In Compark, when the, when the Germans were coming over Europe, yeah. they crashed one of the airplanes in our mountain and killed the pilot. Wow. And before the police could get up there, and the own guard, my brothers went up, my two older brothers went up, and took a clock of the cockpit. Wow. And the clock was a British made Smith. <laughs> oh, well. So we were sending British stuff to the Germans to get that. <laughs> oh, well, profits got to be made, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you still got the clock? The clock was handed down to my father. He gave it to my father. Yeah. My, well, my father died, Gordon, my oldest brother. Took it back. But in the meantime, yeah. when we, we got the mountains and all that, we were young, camping, my brothers, two brothers, founded two bombs. Oh. Incendiary bombs. Wow. Yeah. The small ones, about 18 inches long, and brass. But the story was they were oh, wow. up the garden at the back of the house, a big garden up the steps. And gone saw one yeah. other. My mother had been polishing them for about Five or six years. <laughs> on a matter of the fire. Well, well, well keep up that now and put we had a cutting block on the bottom of the steps before I cut stick for the fire. Yeah. And go and drop it and blow all the back bloody kitchen in. 
Underfoot up in the air. Get out. Now we go down the rope. <laughs> wow. Because you, you can't land on, on no. trees. So you just... But there's a lot, you know, I mean, I know the First World War, the Second World War were dreadful wars and things, but there were a lot of other little wars that went yes, on. That's right, yeah. That's yeah. kind of still going on yeah, now. We haven't learned yeah. much, have we? No. no. And what I, no. what I said just now, you know, there was British, American and Russian flags, and now Russia is persona non grata. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. Russian people were phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they lost 20 million people, you know. So the Russian people are fantastic. It's just so the hierarchy are, are all rubbish. Well, oh, that sounds a bit familiar, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, Maybe one of them. What, what about your dad? Yeah, my father was in the Merchant Navy. That's it, yeah. Malaria did catch him. And um, he was in hospital in India for quite a long time with malaria. Yeah. And when he was shipped home, he was shipped home on a passenger ship. And of course, he was in tropical whites because he'd been in India. And as we got nearer and nearer home, he would be on deck exercising in his tropical whites. And some of the passengers asked the captain who this strange guy was wandering around, thinking he was in the middle of the, the sun. When the captain explained what had happened to Dad, the passengers clubbed together and fitted Dad out with a suit, shirt, tie, mm. hanky in the pocket, money in the pocket, shoes, socks, and a suitcase so that he could come home in some comfort. Oh, that's lovely. I'll be forever grateful for those people. Yeah. And now I'm a tearful. <laughs> yeah. My dad paid, uh, well, he didn't pay, he didn't have to, but he did. He sent a cheque to the Yeovil branch of the British Legion last year, 17th of March, when his, his mate, well, there were about 18 on this landing craft and they were bombed. And But he was particularly friendly with his Dougie Masters. I think he was about 19. British Legion then, on 17th of March last year, which was 75 years ago, they put a, a, a wreath. I took him down there, oh, several years ago, and we stood at the memorial with his name, and we took those little crosses, and I, I don't think the dad had a wreath then. We just stood there, my father had his blazer, and a couple of them, he was in, the, let's say, in the Navy. And people were just saying, well, what are you doing, you know? And when I was telling them, they were all in tears as well, you know. <laughs> so, but it was, yeah. I didn't, I'd forgotten that Corinne lives down there. So uh, so I can ask her, you know, perhaps next year on the 17th of March, put a, a little so, plaque or, or a yeah. cross. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Terry, thank you very much. It was really nice to hear from you, to be honest. Mary was going to ask you about what went on in Barry when celebrations were on. If we've got enough time, I can read you something from one of my stories. Yeah. Yeah. The story was based on my mother's experiences in the munitions factory, which I know is familiar to some of you. Yeah. The story I wrote... I made it about a grandmother passing away with Alzheimer's and she was rambling and that I had actually heard the word bombs come from her and then started to take a lot more attention. I'll read you some of the story. Okay. On one particular morning, grandma was leaving the factory bus after a night shift. She was very tired and thought about spoiling herself when she got home with a cup of real tea. 
They use the tea leaves so many times these days that you could rarely taste more than hot water and usually condensed milk. She was aware that there were a lot more people about than usual, but didn't pay much attention. She was too intent on getting home and snatching a few hours rest before returning for the next long shift. As she got nearer home, the noise and bustle increased. There were crowds in the streets and she woke up properly now as she struggled to make her way through the crush. It was a huge bomb. That was all she could hear being repeated over and over again. She turned the corner into Amethyst Road and stopped, suddenly frozen into immobility. It was all gone. Every house was a reeking pile of rubble, smoke and dust filled the air. The street was being roped off by harassed air raid wardens trying to prevent people getting too near. Grandma was numb. Everything she owned had been in those two rooms. Her memories flooded in and threatened to overwhelm her. On Grandad's last leave, they'd sat in front of the fire and toasted crumpets at the open hearth. The creaking bedstead with the painstakingly crocheted cover had been their haven from the outside world. Instead of a row of houses, now she saw a row of bathtubs, each one filled with rubble. They had fallen through as the upper floors collapsed and now stood sentinel straight in a row. It was so incongruous that she felt a gurgle of laughter close to hysteria rise to her lips. She had been looking for something to remind her of her home, but she knew very well that she'd never forget the sight of all those bathtubs. She couldn't wait to tell Grandad all about it when he came home. And that's what I deciphered from my grandma's mutterings and mumbles. The strangest bath night ever. <laughs> that was that was lovely indeed, yeah. That was, was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed it was. Thank you for your contributions. What I want to say at the moment is that if you've picked up any advice regarding coronavirus from this podcast, please ignore it. You really need to go onto the government site. And keep yourself updated to make sure that you are following the current rules. It might be a bit confusing, but always take the safest reading that you can. Please keep yourself safe. And the government site is at gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. I'd like to say thank you to Debbie Aurelius of Peppermint Fish, who makes these podcasts possible. I'd like to say thank you. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Mary and Tony. And thank you, Bron. And of course, thank you, Carol. Best wishes, everybody. Thank you all. Bye. Thank you all. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Everybody. And keep safe until next week. Okay. Goodbye. 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 Bye, everybody. Bye.